Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ with our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. I want you to think for a second about when the last time you said, I am sorry. When was the last time you apologized to someone or received an apology? What did that feel like? Did that help grow your relationship? And if you can't remember the last time you said sorry, the good news is that that's what we're about to do. 
come to God and come to one another honestly, accepting the fact that we sin, that we mess up, that we hurt people. So now let us go to God together, saying together the prayer of confession. Let us pray. God of unity, we live in a world where our lives are always moving between inclusivity and exclusivity, between understanding and prejudice, between compassion and vengeance, between love and hatred. God, we confess that we often move towards the latter, often building boundaries to make our circles smaller. God, forgive us our need to reject, to conquer, and to always win. Remove in us our selfish tendencies, our tendency to distrust those who differ, to covet and to possess, to ignore those who suffer, and to trample on your creation. Forgive us, O God. Give us the eyes and ears that seek wisdom and the hands and feet that act courageously as we come together in unity as a broken people. And hear us now as we pray silently. Friends, hear the good news. That from the cross, Jesus cried out saying, God, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus speaks to us forgiveness. Friends, we are forgiven, called to forgive. We are loved, called to love one another. Let us live in peace with God and with one another. Amen. It is good to be with you today. Um, I am Kate Buckley. I come to you from St. Simon's Presbyterian Church in St. Simon's Island, Georgia. 
I am the parish associate there, but downtown church, I know you already from several different ways. I went to seminary with Dawn, where we wrestled together with the word of God before either of us had a husband. Well, I had a husband. She didn't have a husband yet. Before we had children. Um, So grateful to know Dawn, and I feel like I know you through her. Um, Also, my cousin is uh, a member here as well, uh, Meg Greathouse, um, and her husband Paul and their child, Louis, and Les is here, and Les is actually the next-door neighbor to my parents who are moving to, he's back there in the back, Uh, they just moved to Columbia, South Carolina, and their house on Duncan Street is right next to Les. So I'm so grateful to be here this morning. Thank you for having me. Let us come before God with a word of prayer. Spirit, fall on us like the rain Shine on us like the sun. Blow on us like the wind. Sanctify us, heal us, and make us one. Be with the words of my mouth and the musings of all of our hearts this day that we might hear a word from on high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's text comes from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15c. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me, he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, 
Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. The Word of God. Today's sermon is titled, Shiver to the River. I think y'all have a brilliant sermon series going where you explore the lesser known biblical characters. A week ago, I didn't know Naaman very well. And y'all, I love Naaman. He's a powerful commander of the Syrian military. He is practically invincible with a multitude of winds under his belt, but he is suffering the painful disease of leprosy. He is successful, but he's sick. He can do for himself until he can't. Naaman is all that, but then he isn't, and it makes him desperate. This is what it takes, isn't it, for us to seek growth and new life and exhaustion with the way that things are. So, in Naaman's confusion and his frantic grasping at straws, he opens his ears to a source he likely wouldn't have paid any attention to otherwise. The little Hebrew servant girl who sweeps his floors and washes his dishes, she is young, she is nameless, She is an Israelite, and she is a captured slave. And she is brave. She pipes up with enthusiastic compassion and confidence. She uses her voice, which was practically worthless in her time and place, to point to a prophet of the God she knows, and she puts her faith in. And she speaks into existence her certainty that, in fact, Naaman can be cured. It shows the direness of Naaman's situation that he listens to the kitchen maid whose name is not even important enough to recount in the text. He sets out to find this prophet that the little girl has spoken about. He gets his king to write on royal letterhead permission for him to approach the king of Israel to see about being healed. He packs up tons of silver, gold, and garments, and he sets off. This feels like a recipe for success. Military prowess plus king's personal stamp of approval plus copious amounts of money and riches equals you get what you want. And what does Naaman want? He wants healing. He is craving healing. So he's throwing everything at his disposal at the problem kind of sounds like us. If we hurl all of our resources at our problem and we pull all the right strings, and we use all of the correct connections, then just maybe, maybe our suffering will be lifted. Fingers and toes crossed. So Naaman finds himself before a foreign king. The king of Israel reads his king's letter And to his credit, he mourns that he's powerless to cure this man. Elisha then hears of the king's despair and he says, send Naaman to me. And this is the scene. Naaman and his entourage of horses and chariots arrive at the front entrance to Elisha's house. The horses are clopping slowly and rhythmically because the chariots are dragging the ground. They are so laden with treasure. They are heavy with silver, heavy with gold, heavy 
with desperation. At the threshold to Elisha's house comes a shocking twist. The brawny, high-ranking commander of an army is met on the doorstep by a messenger. This would be the equivalent of the motorcade of the President of the United States showing up in Elisha's driveway and him sending a text message. This is what the text message says. Go wash in the Jordan seven times. You'll be clean. Naaman is likely gawking in stunned silence. Does Elisha not have the common courtesy to greet a man like me in person? Can the backwoods prophet in this weird land of Israel not be bothered to come out and heal me properly? This is an outrage. It is insulting. Where's the respect he deserves? Nah, I'm out. Naaman was desperate enough to seek healing from an unlikely source, but to be shunned by this healer? How utterly embarrassing in front of all of his men to essentially be told to go jump in the lake or the river. Same message. And not clean, appealing water like the rivers of Damascus, which, by the way, are down the street from his own house. He didn't have to schlep it over to Israel to find a river. Naaman came all this way to swim in the mucky waters of the Jordan. He turns around to leave in a rage. How fascinating that centuries after this story takes place, we know exactly the sensation of wounded pride. A friend of mine, Cece, is a spiritual advisor. She was walking on the beach with a girl she is counseling, and it was an exceptionally bright day. The sun was directly in their eyes as they were walking along the shore. Cece was listening as her mentee poured out her heart, spilling out all of her questions and her doubts. Cece had on both a hat and sunglasses, but this poor girl was squinting into the sun and pausing every few minutes to blink and to tear up. She needed relief from the glare. My friend thought, Lord, don't make me give her my glasses. Just then, a pair of sunglasses floats in on the next wave. The ocean had apparently taken it from a swimmer a while ago, and here they are, washed up, literally arriving to her feet. Taken aback, she picks them up and she brushes off the sea foam and she offers them incredulously to the girl at her side. The girl hesitated. She looked at the glasses and says, but what if those don't suit my face? We all know what it's like to have God's provision fall at our feet and to hesitate in skepticism maybe even turn up our nose? Isn't it heavy living in a world where our worth is so skewed? Isn't it an exhausting charade to angle around grasping for more than we are due, yet simultaneously suspecting that we are frauds who aren't worth what we have? It's an interesting paradox. We don't feel worth it, so we flatten ourselves against the wall and we hope not to be noticed. And we nurse our resentments and we triangulate in our relationships. 
And also, we puff ourselves up to an unsustainable height and we swagger off the car lot with a momentary hit of happiness, and yet we hide how small we feel underneath. All of this posturing and the parading of the wealth of cars or clothes or reputation or spiritual excellence or a five-star rated moral compass, it's all to alleviate that underneath itching. Not the leprosy or the psoriasis of the skin, but it's an internal squirming. This human need that we have to do better or to have more. We are fighting tooth and nail to make our way of doing things make sense. Show up with a carriage full of gold and get a personal one-on-one life coaching session that leaves us immediately at peace. The size of our egos. We want to be healed on our own terms. We don't want to do something humiliatingly simple and beneath us, like be vulnerable, get out of our comfort zone, to look like we need help, or to be willing to do anything required of us, no matter what it looks like to other people, to offer up daily prayers to a God that most of the world doesn't recognize. We want to grow and heal, but we don't want to do anything uncomfortable. There's usually a choice when we're on the edge of transformation. We can cling to life as it was in all of its well-known and comfortable misery, or we can take the plunge. God's provision is usually within our reach, waiting for us to wake up, to open our eyes, and get out of our own way. Enough to bathe in a dirty river or put on lopsided sunglasses. Part of the scariness of healing is that it requires a change from who we were to who we are becoming. And change is usually uncomfortable and it always involves unknowns. Change stretches us just far enough outside of ourselves to get an inkling of this God thing. This mysterious existence of radical love and awe-inspiring confidence. In Naaman, we have a beautifully raw account of someone human, just like us. Someone who has a need and a hole that he's desperately trying to fill, and it incites enough faith in him that he travels to another country to consult a stranger about his disease. We know enough to know we need help. And then, true to form, we flounder around when the help that we so earnestly ask for doesn't look like we wanted it to. We stamp our feet at the truth spoken in love. And we pitch fits that what we prayed for didn't happen. We get offended by God's grace. We thought there was provision and healing, but really what we find is awkward. It's uncomfortable and it is a slow as Christmas process of growing up. I think the most beautiful part of this whole story comes in the out of left field helpers that swoop in to aid Naaman. A barefoot slave girl 
and his team of servants both point him brazenly and loudly toward the well of his salvation. Naaman wouldn't have made it to Israel but for the servant girl. And he wouldn't have gone to the Jordan if it weren't for his servants. Can you imagine servants speaking to their master in such a way? Check your pride and get over it, Naaman. When he can't stomach the method of healing, he gets reminded not too subtly by those closest to him. And that, y'all, is the job of the church. To nudge one another ever closer to the dirty river of holy mystery. In truth and in love and in compassion and with staying power, we insistently point to the destination. We plead with one another to get with the program and accept the love and the mercy that our baptismal waters promise us. With tensions high, with COVID case counts increasing, with racial dialogue a slow and steady slog, political agendas clashing like swords in the air, we come to church just as we are refreshingly human, just like Naaman and just like the servants. Sometimes we're called to be like the servants in the story, to use our voices to live into our worth as children of God, to speak clearly about places that need restoration and the direction that we know healing can come from. And sometimes we're called to be like Naaman, to get humble, to deflate our egos, to toss out our overgrown expectations, to get uncomfortable for the sake of healing. Naaman does eventually make it to the river. This is the miracle and the mystery that in a moment of pure inspiration and the busting of his gibbedern, he went to the riverbank. It took a whole lot of folks growing into their voices to point Naaman towards redemption. And Naaman finally does an about face and hops into the waters of healing. It could have been a begrudging shuffle or it could have been a sprint. We don't know. God offers us a steady stream of provision, a river of sustenance in the wilderness. We have a choice. Do we keep it at arm's length, deliberating if it's good enough? Or do we muster up every bit of courage we have and show up with gratitude and trepidation to the water's edge? Spoiler alert, we do both. Wholeness waits for us in the sludge of the Jordan. We need only follow the truth-telling of the unnoticed, and get the guts to dive in. Amen.
took the long route for the view Pacing myself and making it through Breaking down but rising up again Learning more about who I am Grounding myself in the fire within Thinking deep and finding a friend Paisley, and thank you, Kate, for that amazing word. Before we come to a time of prayer, just a few brief announcements. We've got a lot of stuff on the website of ways to get involved this fall, whether it's home groups, book studies, stuff with tiny theologians, confirmation, and we also have our Discover Downtown opening um, dinner this Wednesday for folks who are new. So I encourage you to check it out, and if you have any questions, please come up to me after the service and say, hey, let us pray together. God, we are desperate. Desperate for answers, desperate for a cure, for community, for justice. God, meet us in our desperation. Show up to us in unlikely ways. And equip us to see you in the world, to see you in the strangers, in the teachers, in the students, in the nurses, in the patients, in the old family who are familiar, 
and in the lesser known characters of our lives. God, break open our foolish pride and replace it with hearts of service, of gratitude, of humility and vulnerability. And give us courage to plunge into the unknown of transformation, knowing that you are beside us, beside us in the discomfort and in the dirty waters of mystery. And hear us now as we pray together the prayer that your Son, Jesus the Christ, taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Savior, come and leave you lame for 
In God's kingdom, the nameless and the voiceless speak up, and there is no room for pride. The waters of transformation and of healing are there for us, God's provision, every moment of every day. As you leave this place, go knowing that you have the love of our Creator God, the peace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the movement and power of the Holy Spirit. God goes with you. <laughs>